Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Katie Anderson, who is the founder and principal consultant at Katie Anderson Consulting, Intergrand LLC. She's also a best-selling author of Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, that won the International Impact Book Award for Management in 2021. Katie is passionate about helping people around the world learn to lead and lead to learn. Welcome, Katie. How are you? Thank you, Darshan. I'm really thrilled to be here today and to dive into this conversation. Well, I want to, I'm really looking forward to talking to you because I want to hear about your journey because you have quite an interesting background and travels. So tell me your journey and some of the pivotal moments that helped you discover your passion for learning to lead and leading to learn. Yeah, so I've always been a lifelong learner, um, actually started off my career in academia. I was so passionate about learning. I thought I wanted to be a professor and the first seven years of my career after um, undergraduate uh, graduation was focused on research in academia. Uh, I actually have my master's degree as well. And I have a, uh, in addition to lifelong learning, I've also had a lifelong passion for travel and living abroad. So I did my master's degree in Australia, actually, and had already spent time living in London, Spain, and the Dominican Republic, in addition to the United States um, in the San Francisco Bay Area, where I'm from. And so these, these two uniting threads of my life have really continued to unite around learning, and not just for myself, but helping other people learn, and then connecting with people around the globe. And I had the incredible opportunity in 2015 to connect those two threads again by moving to Japan with my family. So this is actually the first time living abroad, not just as a single person, but with my family, my husband and my two young children, um, one of whom was under one years old at the time, and uh, go explore what it meant to not only be immersed in Japanese culture, and I, was, I learned how to speak and write a little bit, the Japanese language, but also go out and learn about the origins of the Kaizen mindset or the continuous improvement mindset, the Toyota way, and the foundations of what has been called lean manufacturing or lean leadership across the globe and was actually the foundation of the work that I was doing once I left academia and moved into uh, working in health, hospitals and healthcare systems, trying to help them continuously improve um, so it, that's what's led me to being here today. I started my own consulting practice just before we moved to Japan. And then I met Mr. Isao Yoshino, a 40-year Toyota leader, months before we moved to Japan. And what was, in my mind, going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to spend the day to learn from him in Japan turned into one of the most profound and important adult relationships in my life and resulted in the book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. Lessons from Toyota leader Asao Yoshino on a lifetime of continuous learning. And I'm back here in California now and um, continue, to, continue to work with leaders at all different organizations around the globe to lead with intention. Wow. So, you know, a lot of people talk about learning to lead, but you're also talking about leading to learn. Mm. And tell me about the, uh, your focus and the emphasis on leading to learn. 
Yeah, so the title was really intentional because it's a cycle. First, we need to learn how to be a leader. And then we need to lead with a mindset and intention of learning, not just learning for ourselves and our own sake, but helping others learn and help our organization become more effective and faster um, at learning as well, because that's really how we achieve the big goals when we leverage the minds and the learning of everyone. And is really the, the concept of what we say that continuous improvement. And so when I was thinking about what it means to be a leader, it's not just about how are you achieving results, but how are you helping people get more effective in the process of learning in order to achieve those results. And Toyota has this uh, motto itself that like we make people so we can make cars. And Mr. Yoshino shared with me, and it's the opening quote of my book, that the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning. And I think so often we get focused on tools and techniques and processes, and we lead with more of a mindset. We need to implement X, Y, and Z, rather than how can we have a mindset of curiosity and how do we lead to inspire learning in people and in our organizations. So can you give me an example of how Toyota actually does that in their organization? Yes, um, absolutely. So even in some of their tools and processes that they've created, it's all about making or having a leader or a manager be in a role as coach. And so one of, so when I, what I call the leading to learn framework is really the essential part of a leader's purpose is about setting the direction. So like, where do, what's the challenge we need to achieve? Where do we need to go? How to provide support? So what are the systems and structures and learning you need to be able to achieve your goal? And then how do we develop ourselves? So for example, at Toyota, when a leader says we need to achieve this certain target, or this is our goal for the year, they don't just like set that goal and never, you know, never come back and check. They actually continue to come back, talk to the manager, say who they've assigned this goal to, ask them questions about how are they achieving the goal? What are the barriers coming up? And they go to see. They're going to this concept called go to Gemba. Gemba be the Japanese term, meaning the place the work happens, rather than just staying in their office and waiting for that manager to come and do like a report out to them. So actually putting yourself, sort of flipping that hierarchy and seeing yourself as that servant leader. Um, and even like, if you think back, to like Toyota's history, this didn't happen by just sort of organically, it happened with great intention. Mr. Yoshino was part of a uh, two-year learning and retraining program. And he says retraining because it was about reteaching Toyota's senior leaders about how to really do this effectively in the late 1970s. And they were required to choose a priority area of theirs and then not just say, how are they going to achieve the goal, but really work together and report out to their bosses about how are they supporting their teams to achieve the goal. So it's not just about the, the boss's personal achievement, but your success and your achievement as a leader or a manager is because you have appropriately supported your team and being able to learn and develop as well. So is this really a mind shift also for managers? I mean, to think more like being a coach and uh, helping them, uh, I guess they become well-trained and then they can train their own employees. Is that quite different than what you see what happens in American companies? Absolutely. I mean, I think this is the get, this, to me, this is the aha moment that I try and help so many people have is that 
when you move into a leadership or in a consulting or coaching role, your responsibility, your purpose is no longer about necessarily you being the expert with all the answers, but it's about you helping other people move towards the answer. And the aha moment is a mindset shift of it's not just coming up with the right answer, even if I know it. It's about the process of learning how to get to that answer. And so those actions that we take are totally different when we know it's our some, you know, problem or situation that we have responsibility for solving. It's our time to show up as the expert and do bring forward all of our training from a content perspective, or are we there more as a people development expert or role to help harness the thinking of others and help develop the capability and confidence for them to solve a problem. So that is a real aha mindset shift. It's interesting because in Japan, traditionally, there's a, there's a very hierarchical system in society and language, but you're telling me it's in the workplace that changes. Isn't that what you're saying? Mm. So Toyota is not the same as Japan. So actually, Toyota's done something very different. And this was something that was an aha moment for me in moving to Japan. We may have a preconceived notion that all companies and organizations are like Toyota. But in fact, Toyota and some other companies, of course, in Japan have done something different where they've leveraged the hierarchy, but they've flipped it. So it's still a very hierarchical um, organization, very strong like levels of, you know, of leadership. But the role of the leader is not just to command and control, so tell you what to do and exactly how to do it, but is instead to say, where do we need to go and how are you thinking about moving in that direction. And so that's the set direction provide support. And then also looking at themselves um, as opportunities for improvement as well. So I want to hear, hear how did you meet uh, Mr. Yoshino and yeah. how has it impacted you? You said it's one of the most impactful relationships you've ever had in, in your work environment. Yes. So it was serendipity of how we first met. In fact, we were, this was just a month, not even months, like a month after finding out about the opportunity for our family to move to Japan for my husband's job. Uh, and I was thrilled by the opportunity to go back to Japan and, and to learn, of course. He, I was speaking at a conference in California, in Long Beach, California, and John Shook, who was the first manager, or sorry, the first non-Japanese employee of Toyota Motor Corporation, was at the time the president of the Lean Enterprise Institute who was hosting this conference. I'd already reached out to John about talking about um, moving to Japan. Well, lo and behold, his first manager at Toyota happened to be passing through Los Angeles on his way to a co another conference on the East Coast. And that was a Sal Yoshino. And he said, hey, come to the conference. We'll get up on stage and talk about, you know, our experience as leader and direct report. This was actually a coaching summit about, you know, that very thing. How can managers show up as coaches? And so they got up on stage and it was Mr. Yoshino's comment, in fact, about his role as a manager, which inspired this framework for me about a leader's role. He said something like, my role as a manager or to, as John's manager was to give him a mission or target and support him. Well, he figured out how to reach that target. And as I was developing John, I was aware I was developing myself as well. And that's where I had this light bulb moment. I'm like, gosh, that's just like the simplicity of what leadership is. Where do we need to go? How can I help you figure out how to get there? And what do I need to do to improve myself as well? 
So at that conference, I met Mr. Yoshino. He gave me his business card and he said, look me up when you move to Japan. I'll take you to Toyota City. We'll tour Toyota and we'll spend the day together. And I came away going, oh my gosh. All right. I'm super fired up now to go to Japan. This is going to be an incredible, not just per- personal learning experience, but it's going to be an incredible professional learning experience. And we hit it off so well on that very first um, meeting. I actually made my husband take the day off of work and come down on the, the Shinkansen on the bullet train, the 90 minutes from Tokyo to Nagoya. And Mr. Yoshino and I just had a really lovely conversation. He invited me to continue to come back to visit him. And, you know, so I did. And that was the beginning of um, such an important relationship and for both personally and professionally for us both. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. So did he convey to you how he arrived at the revelation, you know, that it's all about his job is about teaching others to learn? Yeah. So, you know, in our first meeting at that time in Nagoya, I asked him about that comment because I had started speaking to other people about how like profoundly that impacted me. He didn't remember making that comment because it's so deeply ingrained in who he is and how he shows up. And actually it's, it's what I call, and he references as in the book too, a chain of learning. So this is how he was started to be developed at Toyota from the very beginning, even from the time he made like, a mistake that required a hundred cars to be repainted um, in his during his orientation program when he was 22 years old and the boss is not blaming him uh, and instead saying, wow, we need to look at the process to all the other ways that he was supported and developed by peers and by his bosses and mentors along his career. And that was his learning to lead. And then it really became that he learned that his role was to help other people learn. And so that's where the leading to learn comes from as well. It just was, it's part of how they engage with each other. And so when I work with leaders now across the globe, it's like, how can you make some small, simple shifts in your own behaviors to start creating that culture and that attitude towards learning? Because it's not, it's not complicated or complex. It's actually quite simple, but it requires us to put intentional effort into showing up in a different way. What are the three key shifts that you recommend that people do to head in that direction? Yeah, that's a really great question. The first is to pay attention to the quality of your questions. So one of the most challenging things for us is that we're used to having the answer or wanting out of a desire to be helpful, offer our suggestions. So we start to learn that maybe always telling people what to do isn't right, but then we are not aware that we're also disguising our ideas as questions. So those are those leading and closed-ended questions, which are really our ideas with a question mark on it. So instead, ask open questions, usually starting with what or how. So when we can pay attention to the quality of our questions, that's number one, and really lead with more inquiry rather than telling. The second is to develop a habit of daily reflection because reflection is where the learning happens. And this is not just reflection on our processes, which is important, but also reflection on our own behavior. How did I show up today? What impact did that that have? What went well? What didn't? What adjustments do I need to make? In our fast-paced society and in all the pressures that we have, we shortchange and shortcut any reflection time. But reflection is really where the learning happens. And the third, um, the third thing is really to know what your role is or your purpose is 
in on in the moment and on the big scale. But like, is my role here to be the one, you know, the responsibility for solving this problem? Is this something I should be diving into? Or is this now a time where I'm there to develop someone else? Because your actions you need to take are different to have the impact that you want. So when you can know your purpose, align your actions, reflect and pay attention to the quality of your questions so you can break your telling habit, the, that, that's transformative and you will just totally accelerate your own impact. So not to oversimplify, but part of sounds like what you're saying is really have more engaging conversations at all levels of your organization. Is that correct? Uh, you could summarize some of that as well. It's being intentional and purposeful about how you're having that engaging conversation. How are you inviting the thinking of other people? Um, and also knowing when it's your time to be doing some telling, or is it when is it your time to do more asking? But absolutely, the more we can have open conversation that's uh, it's safe and not full of blame as well, that's where we're going to have so much more creativity that comes forward. And you talked about asking better questions. How do you actually get people to learn to ask better questions? Yeah, through practice, through working with me, um, through modeling. Uh, but it's really quite, it's not complex again. So pain and understanding, when are you asking closed-ended questions that can be answered yes or no? When can, you know, when are you doing more than thinking out loud? Short questions that you really do not have the answer for and that start with what or how are more likely to be better effective questions. And of course we can go through, you know, a whole, like if we're looking at problem solving, I actually hold this up all the time. Um, if you're watching on video, I'm holding up a, a card that has some words on it, but this is the flow of problem solving. If you're familiar with Toyota or Japan, they might call this A3 problem solving, but the tool, the format doesn't matter. Asking questions like, why is this important? So what's the background? What's actually happening? What do you know and how do you know it? What's the target? What should be happening? What's the gap? What's the gap between what's actually happening and what's currently happening? What are some of the causes? What are the experiments you're going to do to close the gap? What's your plan? And what are you learning? Asking things in those simple, simple cycle is tremendous. So questions are really simple. And we, we're used to trying to like think out loud and try and interject too much of our own stuff. But if we hold that space for other people to do thinking, it's quite profound. So we're talking about mostly learning among leaders, but is this something that could be instilled even within and among the, uh, you know, the workforce within the organization, um, you know, below leaders and, and with people who work with each other? Absolutely. So these skills are important no matter if you're an independent contributor, um, uh, emerging manager, you know, whatever senior or you're more junior and getting just started. If you're a student, if you're a parent, when we ask more questions to each other, we're more effective human beings. We're better teammates. We encourage and offer more thinking and collaboration together. And so, yes, it's important for leaders. And it's also important no matter what your role or level of experience is. So when you try to implement this in U.S. companies, what are the typical uh, hurdles or pushback that you get? And how do you overcome them? Yeah. So I think one of the, or my experience is one of the the biggest challenges I'd say is people are like, well, I, we don't have time to sit around and ask questions. We have so much to do. We have so many pressures, so many fires to put out. And the challenge is that when we lead always by telling, 
we are making assumptions on actually what's actually happening. We don't even know maybe sometimes what problem we're trying to solve. I can't think of how many times, especially when I was an internal at an organization, especially for long years, we're trying to work year after year, we're working on the same darn problem. And we've put Band-Aid solutions on because we're moving so fast. We actually haven't really understood what's the real problem we're trying to solve or understand if the thing we put in place is actually fixing it. So when we can ask a few more questions to really understand what the problems are we're trying to solve, we actually are more effective at like fixing the root cause or making improvements. So it feels faster in the moment, but actually is just creating more and more things that we keep working on. Also, I try and help leaders see that when you show up always telling people what to do, an unintended consequence is that you actually are taking away ownership of the the problem solving from that person and putting the burden on your own back. And so you're exacerbating, you're creating this vicious cycle of yourself feeling burdened, but then taking on more problems that are your responsibility um, because people are getting disengaged or not feeling like their contributions matter. And so um, it just becomes this vicious cycle of repeating, repeating ourselves. So I help, I try and help leaders see where are those times you can even ask, slow down just a little bit more. Not everything is truly a five alarm fire, an emergency that has to be fixed now. Where can we ask a few more questions? And it doesn't have to say, let's sit and ask questions for two hours, but even a few provocative questions and a few times of saying, okay, let, like, why don't you go back and come back tomorrow with some more thinking on that? It will, over time, hopefully fairly quickly start to add more space because we're solving more problems and actually getting to the root cause. Can you give an example of an organization in the U.S. that's transformed itself by making the shift to leading to learn? Yeah, so there's so many uh, companies that I've worked with, both in healthcare organizations um, as well as some manufacturing. Of course, none are none are you know perfect by any means, and they each have their own uh, their own culture as well. You know, I can't you know share some of some of the names because I you know I've been working with them, but like hospitals and healthcare systems um, here in California who have really put in place, um, is one I've worked at in the past and near me here, has put in place uh, over the last 10 years or even longer, an effective management system so that the leader's role is really to go set that direction. And then they have a cascading um, connection of managers checking on the status of the work for that day, what barriers are being removed, and, you know, all the way up to the senior executive team. And they have a structure for this to happen. And they have found that it has really had an incredible impact on being able to provide patient care, to make adjustments, um, and really focus on um, running the hospital more effectively as well. There are Count, you know, there are countless organizations too who are applying all this thinking to improve processes. I think one of the challenges is, you know, we look at Toyota has been doing this for like a hundred years or close to a hundred years, and so they're so far in advance. It's like a ballet watching Toyota, whereas most organizations who are applying these principles and practices are maybe five to fifteen years into their journey, and they're, so they're really kind of just dipping their foot in the water and or toe in the water and starting to build that generational knowledge, which is harder in the Western, um, the Western cultures as well. What area of leading to learn would you like to do a deeper dive and and why? Mm. You know, I, I think for me, I don't know if it's anything new here, but really 
I've been very intrigued on, on this concept of assumptions and how assumptions really are the root cause of what drives our actions. And, and so really looking at how do the, how does the impact of assumptions influence our ability to not just lead, but our ability to um, achieve the outcomes that we want as well. And so when we're looking at leading to learn, how are we uncovering assumptions and making the invisible visible more effectively? Uh, and I've been doing some work on that with uh, in my programs and, and, and coaching as well. But I would, I'd love to continue to explore this, this concept of assumptions and how that impacts our effectiveness of leading to learn. Can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Sure. Uh, so just today in my Leading to Learn Accelerator program, we were talking about the um, importance of reflection as the source of learning and how often when we do reflection or like, you know, we've done a project and we're like, let's do, or even a meeting, like let's do a plus delta, let's do a debrief, what worked well, what didn't work well, or even doing like, you know, looking and thinking, well, what do we need to adjust for next time? We're more focused on the, in, the visible things. So like, what were the outcomes of this meeting? What were the or outcome of, of this project? Or what's our, what some of the environmental things or the actions that we took? So the really visible things. But when we reflect, we don't really uncover or make visible or articulate. What were we thinking that drove our actions? Or even what were the unspoken or unaware assumptions that influenced our thinking. And when we can draw out some of those assumptions of what we thought had to be was likely to be true, we are more effective at like shaping the environment or understanding what do we truly need to adjust. And I think what's always intriguing to me is how when you talk to individuals or even groups of people, we all have different assumptions about what the situation is or what's going to happen. And so how do we put voice to that and speak these assumptions and make them visible sooner so that we can even see, are we on the same, truly on the same page or what are the, the factors that we haven't even considered that will influence the actions that we take or the environment that we're work that in which we're working. I think what you're saying is an overemphasis or maybe uh, um, too much highlighting of KPIs and how do you actually get people to begin reflecting? I mean, that must be a little mm -hmm. bit of a challenge, isn't it? Absolutely, because we we reflecting feels like we don't have time for reflection. You know, like we got to just keep doing. So we're stuck in this plan, even like sometimes just do, 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 or plan, do, plan, do. And if we do any sort of reflection or study, it's on that really surface external level, but not really at the drivers that have really influenced the actions that we're truly taking or that we didn't take. Um, and so when we can put voice to that more effectively, or even, even just for five minutes, we become uh, more wise. So tell me a little bit more about your Leading to Learn Accelerator program. Yeah, so it's, I, I love it. It's been this delight to put together and to offer, especially uh, in this pandemic time. So I wrote the book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, and published it in January, sorry, July of 2020. And then six months later, I wrote a companion workbook uh, that's also available on Amazon. And I wanted, I, want, I wanted to offer those as ways for people to learn. And I wanted to bring forward more of the concepts that I've learned uh, about leadership and coaching over the last 
25 years and help support people in their practice of learning. And so I designed the Leading to Learn Accelerator as a combination of using the book and the workbook for some self-paced learning and reflection, and then coming together uh, for some, either it can be totally self-paced with pre-recorded mini workshops and lessons that I've recorded and, and templates and frameworks, or as I'm doing right now, leading a live community program over 12 weeks where we come together every two weeks for discussion and have a community forum. And I do this actually for um, as intact groups for internal or for internal groups for private clients as well. So it's been, there've been almost a hundred leaders who've gone through the program in the last 12 months, which has been really thrilling. And they feel like they come away feeling inspired, revitalized, and they've gotten back to the basics and, and learned really t- these tangible, simple practices, like I was talking about, that they can bring forward to be more impactful as people-centered leaders. So what impact has COVID had on leading to learn? Yeah, you know, I, of course, COVID's had a huge impact. I don't think it should have an impact on our ability to lead to learn. Um, If we show up with caring, curiosity, and the courage to look within and to say the challenging things, we still can lead to learn and develop capability, confidence, clarity, and creativity in other people. The challenge has been, you know, there have been greater pressures. I work with a lot of healthcare organizations who, of course, at the beginning of the pandemic just was, you know, were heads down and managing a pandemic. And that's a crisis time. And in, in, in crisis, there's not as much time for reflection and learning. It's all hands on deck. What I'm trying to do to help people move, now we've gotten in this habit that it's, we're in this time of crisis, but we're moving out of that. So how can leaders come back to seeing that it's not a five alarm fire now, there is more space where they can lead to learn by inviting more time for reflection, asking more questions, shifting away from being the doer to more of the coach as well. So I, you know, as I'm speaking out loud, I'd say that the biggest, I think, shift in the pandemic has been how do you keep a connection even when we're remote? And then how do we move now away from being in a time of crisis to a time where we can have more space for learning and, and people development as well? To me, it seems like maybe the uh, importance of leading to learn is even greater now post-COVID than it was before. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's always it's always been important, but we've we're in the process of reimagining or recreating what it means to you know what does work mean and how do we work in the hybrid world, and um, so we need that creativity as well. And people need people have always needed clarity of where do we need to go, how do we align our energies? That's the set the direction. And then they need to feel like they have support as well and, and feel energized. We're talking a lot about the, you know, people leaving their jobs, the great resignation. Mm-hmm. And I believe a lot of that is because people don't feel connected to the purpose of their organization. They don't necessarily feel cared about. Um, and these not the superficial caring, but the genuine caring that like their input matters, the things that they do matter and that they have responsibility and space for contributing to the purpose of the organization. Because when we're connected with purpose, that just uplifts us. So how do we, how do leaders, again, understand what their purpose is? It's not just about making a widget or about, you know, delivering great value to their customers, which of course, that's the end goal. But if you can develop and engage your people 
then that's that's the true enabler to being able to do whatever your organization's purpose is. And how often have you seen that once you engage your managers, employees, that actually transcends down to engaging even better with the customers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I see this in healthcare all the time too. If you have nurses or frontline staff that feel like they're uplifted and engaged in their work, you're more likely to provide good customer service when you are feeling in a good, positive place and that you have, um, I guess, authority and ability to um, be engaged in the workplace. I mean, it just is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I was just thinking back to a question you asked earlier about uh, American or Western company that's done really well with these lean practices. And I was thinking back just as you were saying asking this question now is thinking back to auto leave, which is a company that makes seatbelts in um, Utah. And they were trained by Toyota and they were able to do this very successfully here in the United States. And it was all about focusing on these principles. So the principles of purpose and how do each level of the organization, how are they involved in appropriate level problem solving and the connection around that. And what inspired me to think about this is, you know, they, their, their motto is, or their purpose is, we save lives. And people across the organization, whether you're the janitor or the, you know, a senior manager or someone working on the production line, they connect their job to, I help save lives. And so that's inspiring and feels meaningful, not just like I clean floors or, you know, I turn the widget on to here, but it gives you a real sense of purpose. And so when we can connect and start with purpose and then show up to help people solve the problems that come up every day, you can achieve so much. I think this is very much related to what we just talked about relating COVID to. I think more and more people are looking for purpose in mm-hmm. their personal lives, their professional lives, but even in, in, as consumers in their purchasing decisions, yeah. you know, uh, they want to have an impact with their purchase uh, thing with a company that has a real purpose beyond just selling a product or service. Absolutely. And uh, my favorite word is intention. And it comes from this concept of what's your purpose. So what's in your heart and what then actions do you need to take to fulfill that? I'm going to, for those of you on video too, I'm going to hold up this giant Daruma doll, which is this doll from Japan. And there's tiny little ones. This one's way bigger than my head too. And I had this one made especially for me in Japan. And it has the Japanese for intention, which is Shiko. And it comes from the symbols heart in direction. And it really created for me this deeper meaning about when we connect with purpose and can align our actions, then we have a real positive and meaningful impact in the world. And that goes for organizations as well. What's their real purpose? And is it just to make a product or to do a service? Or is it much more like we save lives? Like what's the real purpose behind it? And if we can start with an inspiring purpose that's so much more connected. Absolutely. So who in the world of leading to learn would you love to have lunch with and why? Oh, so there's so many people, but the one that comes to mind today is Rich Sheridan. He's a friend of mine. He's a um, CEO of um, Menlo Innovations in the, uh, in the Midwest. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for a few years, and he has also written a few books all about the, the purpose and mission of their uh, software company, is to inspire joy or to create joy. He considers himself the chief joy officer. And so I would love to see Rich again and talk about how do we create 
joy and meaning in our work, in our jobs, and how do we connect and lead with intention? Sounds great. Well, I want to thank you, Katie, for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. I really enjoyed it and learned quite a bit about leading to learn. And I enjoyed the story about your travels and meeting uh, uh, people in Japan and Toyota. I think it's great. So thank you very much for sharing it. Thank you so much. And I'd love to invite your audience too to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm Katie Anderson, or do um, go to my website, which is kbjanderson.com. And you can also enroll in the self-paced accelerator as well. So all the information's on my website. And I really do love connecting with people around the world. So do reach out. And I look forward to hearing your questions and how you're leading with intention and connecting with your purpose. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.